There's a, uh, there was a line in that, um, that song that Normie was singing. What a beautiful, beautiful voice. Wow. <laughs> Only a moment to live this life. Like a shooting star burning up in the night. It's really relevant and really quite poignant because of what we're celebrating or commemorating today. I just think about, I was just, just pondering this, that, that, that line. And how many dreams, how many hopes never got to see their full potential realized. It's really, 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 really quite sobering when you think about it. How many hopes, how many dreams that we only have a moment. It's a fleeting moment to make an impact. But there's a perspective that we have, which is an eternal perspective. That means we live our lives not with just the dash between the date we were born and the day that we die, but that we understand and we realize that everything we do has eternal consequence, that we think generationally, we think ahead. There is a, there's a battle raging, and that battle raging is for hope. That's what I've been kind of pondering and thinking about recently. Um, and the, the, the title, if you want to give a title for this, is Irrepressible Hope. Yeah. There is a battle for hope. And it's a challenge about what we believe to be true about the goodness of God. The enemy's aim is to destroy hope. Because if he can destroy hope, then he, in that process of destroying hope then he, he can stunt our ability to grow in faith. And ultimately, effectively, he, he can put a stop to, for a period of time, our capacity to grow in faith. Because hope is the life source of faith. It literally are the eyes that see, and it's the bedrock, it's the um, seedbed in which faith grows. So if that's the case, then we need to be aware, and we are aware of, that the enemy is aiming to destabilize our foundation. He wants to chip away at the bedrock of what we believe to be true about the goodness of God, about what he says about himself, what he says about us, and his purpose. And it's not just an individual battle. This is a corporate, this is a community battle, where if we only see this in isolation, that, that we are... We have prophetic words or promises for ourselves. Well, that's true. But we don't live in isolation. We live in this glorious body of Christ. And he has dreams. He has the ultimate dream, which is reconciling the world to himself and making this earth look like heaven. We get the immense privilege to bring heaven to earth, into the spheres, into the realms that we move. We're sons and daughters. We have all of the resources of heaven available to us. He's living in us. We are open heavens. Literally, we are open heavens. And that open heaven is not necessarily a physical thing, although we bring what's unseen into the seen realm, but it's actually in our thinking. Because if he says that he is the God of whom nothing is impossible, do we believe that? Do we believe that nothing is impossible? Because if our open heaven is in our thinking, then the very thing that can stop the things that are possible 
of the, what we think and what we believe to be true. We are heaven's feet on earth. We're literally, it says that we're seated in heavenly places. I mean, this, I'll just take a moment to pause on that one. Wow. We are literally seated right now with him, in him. He's in us, in heavenly places. And at the same time, we're heaven's feet on earth. We get to physically walk this earth, bringing heaven bringing his will. It says, on earth as it is in heaven, your will be done. So, if that's the case, and we know that nothing is impossible, then there's some things that we need to think about around our thinking and around what we believe to be true. And I've, I've kind of been looking at Abraham recently. And it was one, it's one particular line. I'm going to read from Romans 4, if you want to have a look. Romans 4, verse 18 to 21. (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm just stuck in heavenly places. I'm just thinking about that. Wow. I don't know about you, but when you read that, you kind of think, what does that actually look like? That spiritual reality that that our spirit is alive with him and that's where we are, and yet we're walking this earth, walking out the calling walking out the giftings, walking out everything that he has paid the price for. We get to do that. We get to see bodies healed. We get to see people raised from the dead. We get to see lives restored. We get to see, oh gosh, some of the things we're seeing at the moment. Incredible resources being released. Life, lives being turned around. So, are you at Romans 4, 18 to 21. Against all hope. Abraham, in hope, believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yeah, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded yeah, <laughs> that God had power to do what he had promised. Against all hope, in hope, Abraham believed. When I, when I read the Bible and I read the stories, you start to become familiar with the stories. We know the end from the beginning. So when we read about Abraham, then we, we kind of know it works out. I mean, we are here right now because it worked out. Every single person sitting here, every single person, uh, every single person sitting here, it worked out. We know, we know what happened. But Abraham, if we, we put ourselves in his position, he hadn't got a clue. He did not know this thing was going to work out. Basically, God says to him, you're going to be the father of of many nations. And he gives him a promise and he talks about land and he talks about uh, inheritance and he talks about uh, his future generations. And he hadn't even got one kid at this point. He hadn't got one child. And yet God is talking to him about being a father of multitudes. So we're sitting here right now as a result of that promise. But he didn't know that was going to happen. So he has a promise and the circumstances don't match up to it. 
And it's similar for ourselves. You know, our lives are not defined by circumstances. They're not defined by seemingly impossible situations. Because our lives are defined by a God (laughs) who says, of whom it is said, nothing is impossible. If you imagine that word, impossible, in your head, spell it out in your head. I-M-P-O-S-S-I-B-L-E. Impossible. He's basically the God that says, I'm possible. (laughs) I'm possible. I'm is I am. You know when he identified himself to Moses, Moses says, well, who are you? He says, I am. You cannot limit him. Our bent is to try and limit what we expect and what we can experience. He's infinite and eternal. And he says, I'm possible. There is nothing and no situation that he does not have an answer for. So against all hope, in hope, Abraham believed. What sort of hope is this? What sort of hope are we talking about? I um, I asked a few folk. I, I kind of did a thing like, just kind of what's your idea of hope? I had some really interesting responses. And a, a lot of the responses are kind of talking about hoping for something. I think sometimes the world's perspective, the general perspective, could be like wishful thinking. It may or may not happen. I'm hoping this will happen. It might or it might not. But if you think about that sort of hope, is there any foundation to it? Is there anything that's solid? Is there anything that's underpinning that sort of hope, that wishful thinking? Because biblical hope, our hope, the hope that lives within us, is very, 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 very different. It's awesome. (laughs) If you go and look at Strong's Concordance, this is a good place to go and look. It's the joyful, confident anticipation and expectation. Confidence, anticipation and expectation. That is hope. And then interestingly enough, we have here, it says, against all hope, in hope, Abraham believed. Strong's actually takes that phrase, in hope, and develops it further as it relates to the author of hope, or he who is its foundation. So we could say, it is a joyful, confident expectation in the abundance, faithfulness, and goodness of God, who is the author and foundation of this hope. It's not necessarily hoping for someone, something. It's hoping in someone who is able to bring about that something. Really, really fascinating to me when I read through some of the responses um, about what people believed hope was. There were two responses in particular that came from two people that I know and I know have faced and are facing immense difficulty, uh, challenges, to who God says they are in terms of their destiny, that in the world's eyes would say, you don't have a chance. Two of these, actually, for both of these people, it involves health issues. And it was fascinating to me that when they talked about hope, they didn't talk about hoping for something. They talked about hoping in someone. And, and amidst what they discussed, they talked about hoping for things. But in the context of, do you know what? If that thing doesn't happen when I think it should, the one in whom who can make it possible is the one whom I trust. That is where my hope is. That is the seedbed in which faith grows. 
that it says it doesn't matter what happens, what this situation says about my life. I believe, God, that you are true. I believe that what you say is true, that you will never let me down. That is the bedrock of our faith. That is hope. It's joyful. <laughs> it's that joy in suffering. It's, it's, how can you be joyful in suffering? That patient perseverance. If it's based in something that is not tangible, that, that relies on something you have to do, if it's based solely in what it is that you want to get and it's not happening, the joy just kind of doesn't come into that equation. Because your joy cannot be anchored in something that may or may not happen. But it is anchored in. And it talks in Hebrews about our hope being anchored beyond the veil in his presence. It's in him. (laughs) Romans 15.13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that... So that you would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. Not a little bit, not a tiny bit, like all joy and peace. What does that look like? Pretty joyful. (laughs) As you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This, this is a hope that can't be contained or restrained. That's what irrepressible means. Cannot be contained and cannot be restrained. It is a supernatural, overflowing, powerful hope. It is inextinguishable, unquenchable, uncontainable, uncontrollable, Unstoppable, indestructible, imperishable, undying, unfailing, unfading, enduring, everlasting, eternal. That is irrepressible hope and that is the hope that lives inside of us. It is an inside job. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just going to take a moment. Okay, however you want to do this, let's just become aware. (laughs) Thanks, Dad. Wow, Father, just thank you. Father, thank you. Wow, Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence right now. The unstoppable. (laughs) Inextinguishable. Undying unfading wow hope (laughs) holy spirit is in us he cannot be contained he cannot be restrained at least we'd like to think so (laughs) but what goes on between our ears can be an issue what we think to be true he's like i just want to get out (laughs) and he can and he does and he's sovereign and i get that but We have the joy of actually being involved, of bringing about his purposes, his plans. He is the most hopeful person that ever exists. 
He's eternally and infinitely hopeful. (laughs) That means that we can be eternally and infinitely hopeful too. This is good news. (laughs) It's truth. It's just the process that we come in to come in line with this truth. The fact that this is true. If that makes sense. (laughs) This kind of hope is the fertile soil in which we grow in faith. And this is the soil that the enemy wants to contaminate. He wants to sow seeds into this soil. He wants to sow seeds of doubt. (laughs) Fear. Anxiety. Discouragement. Disappointment. So if we know that's his plan, then how do we go about guarding this soil? How do we go about cultivating this soil and continue to grow? Wow. (laughs) I don't apologize. (laughs) Grow in faith. I know that every single person here is either going through something right now, has been going through something that doesn't look like heaven. That doesn't look like the thing that God said was possible and was going to happen. There are, we have times where it just doesn't seem to be going right at work. There's stuff going on with the family. Our health is challenged. But nothing that challenges or none of the challenges that we find in those areas changes what God says about us. I've I've had some conversations with with David over the last few weeks about sharing my own battle over the last three years and to what extent do I share it. And I am going to share. I'm going to talk to you just a little bit about a health issue that I've been facing. But what I want to come on to, there are three things that I find helpful. And I'm sure it won't just be myself. And there are other things that are helpful in, which, in the way that we can actually cultivate and guard the seedbed in which we grow. The three things are <laughs> dust and stars. Sounds nice, doesn't it? Dust and stars. I'll come back to that. The power of testimony and feasting and drinking. <laughs> Thanks, Holy Spirit. 2015, I started experiencing some symptoms, some neurological symptoms that were concerning. I work for the NHS. I have a degree of knowledge about these things. And I knew that it wasn't uh, necessarily a peripheral issue. My feeling was there was something going on with my brain. One day, I'm sat uh, in the hospital and I have some results. I've had an MRI. And I'm sat uh, before the professor, and he asks the question, and you know what this means. Did you come alone? Hmm. <laughs> Do you know what was going through my head at that point? <laughs> Apart from yes, I did, which is obvious. So I was sat there alone. I wasn't expecting this. I wasn't expecting what I was about to, to hear or I had a degree of understanding that there may be something along these lines. He took me through the MRI and ultimately told me that I had a diagnosis of multiple sclerosis. Uh, he said, you know, 
you know, talked it through and said, you know, what would you like to say? I think I'd like to have a little cry. (laughs) So I did. And in that moment, I felt disappointed. I felt confused. I felt angry, not at God. I had all sorts of emotions going on inside of me. But you know what? When I walked out of that hospital, this is the first thing that went through my mind. God, you are good. You haven't changed. You haven't fallen off your throne. Your opinion about me has not changed. What you've said about me has not changed. The word of my life has not changed. Nothing's changed. Nothing has changed. No circumstance, no situation can change what God says about us, or what is possible, or our destiny. If we believe it can, then we will start to act in accordance in a way that can reduce what is possible. Prophetic words and promises are vital. They are, effectively, it's God's opinion. A prophetic word is what God is saying about you or about a situation, and it's his opinion. Should we allow a circumstance to trump God's opinion? Abraham had a promise, and he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead. It gave him no reason for hope, but the dust and stars spoke a completely different story. God said to Abraham, I will make your descendants as numerous as the dust. And then he told him to go and walk the land. And then a little later on, he's had a bit of a conversation with God saying, look, you've promised, but you've not given me any children. How am I meant to have this when it's just not happening? I love what God does. He takes him outside at night when you can't see. And he shows him the stars and he says, You can count these. These are the amount of descendants that you will have. Dust and stars. So he had a promise of fathering many nations continually before him. In the day, he would be wandering around. He's walking the land. God says, go walk the land. In the day, he's walking around and the dust is continually being kicked up. You can imagine he's breathing in. It gets everywhere. He's getting into the very fibers of his clothes. On his cattle, it's everywhere. He looks, there is the dust. There is the reminder of what God has said. And then at night, the stars, uncountable, shining brightly as beacons of hope. The dust and stars are prophetic words and promises over our lives. We need to dwell in them. We need to explore them. They are lands to discover. You might sit there and say, well, I haven't got a promise. Okay, um... One sec. You can turn to John 14. John 14, verse 12. This one will keep you going for all eternity. I'm help, I want to help you because we're going to do something at the end. And if you are, seriously, if you're thinking, I don't have a promise, then, then grab a hold of this one. <laughs> very, tell, very truly, I tell you the truth. Whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. And they will do even greater things than these. Because I am going to the Father. (laughs) And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. 
That's a promise. <laughs> That's exciting. That's amazing. If, if, if we never had any prophetic words, if we never had anything at all, if we just had this, if we just took what Jesus said, <laughs> doesn't matter what your health status is. It doesn't matter what your financial status is, your relational status is in this context. It does matter. Everything matters to him. But when you look at this and you fix your eyes on that, that is an exciting adventure. And we will face battles along the way and hope will be challenged. When you do that, when you go after that sort of stuff, well, what did Jesus do? Well, he healed the sick. Okay, so when you go after that, we face disappointment. Not everyone we pray for is healed yet. But if we give up, if we lose hope, we're not going to see the outcome. These, these promises, these prophetic words, they're ingrained, they need to be ingrained in the very fiber of who we are. I have um, Evernote on my, my iPad. There's pen, there's paper, there's books. Record them. Um, have your phone ready at any opportunity. Oh, get the app on the front page that if someone comes up to you and says, I've got a word to you, get it recorded. If you don't have that, pen and paper as soon as you can. Because what we value shows the place that we are, our hearts are set. If it's a five-year-old that comes up to you, a three-year-old that comes up to you and says, I think God wants to say this to you, do we value that? As much as the seasoned prophet who rolls in and has a word, what do we value? What are we valuing? The person are we valuing God and what he says about us? These need to be ingrained. We need to value it. When we're in, in the context of um, Eastgate, and I appreciate not everyone here in the evening is necessarily, you have maybe other churches you go to in the morning. But this is the beautiful thing I love about Eastgate. It's a broader context. It's a community. Get to know the prophetic words over this community. Get to know them. Because what you start to realize is the words that you carry personally start to feed into, you can recognize how they can feed into the corporate, the community words. And when that starts to happen, it gets even more exciting. <laughs> they need to be ingrained. You need them ingrained to fight. You need to know what it is that God is saying about you, us, the body at, at, at large. And then at night, when you can't see, at night, when it's dark, those prophetic words, those promises, those things that have become ingrained, they are like the stars. They are those beacons of hope. You might say, well, yeah, but what if, what if there's a cloud? You know, it might be night time, the stars, but it's cloudy. Huh? You can't see the stars then. Are they still there? Yeah. We're wandering along this bumpy road of faith. And at times, circumstances will act like that cloud. Are the promises still there? Are the prophetic words still there? Yeah, they are. It's awesome. We have a, a daily choice to stay in hope. We have a choice to choose the promise over the problem and the prophetic words over the prognosis. We have a choice.
alongside prophetic words or the dust and stars is the power of testimony. Testimony, we understand, meaning to do it again. Testimony, uh, in Revelation, it talks about being the, well, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. We understand prophecy that builds up and encourages and exhorts us to do good works. And it's, it's that sense of you hear a story, you hear a story of a, some, some sort of miracle, some miracle provision, uh, a breakthrough in someone's life. And that prophesies hope. See, testimonies are our stories. They're our stories. They're his stories. They're history. They're history. They're his stories. And we have a bank of testimonies available to us. Again, here. This, the word, the Bible, if you want test, if you think, well, I haven't got a story of healing. It's here. Jesus did it. The testimonies are here. When you read of a story of blind eyes being opened in here, he will do it again. But the best thing is when you actually start getting involved and finding out what God's doing in your environment, there are many ways that you can do it. There are, you can go on YouTube. There are so many stories and testimonies of what God is doing. In this environment, we'll often say, you'll hear it said from the front, there's not a week that goes by without testimonies of the goodness of God. Healing center, twice a month, absolutely outrageous stuff, beautiful stuff, encouraging stuff. So here's the challenge. You have a diagnosis, uh, and someone who has the same diagnosis gets a breakthrough, and they're healed, completely healed. What does that do to your heart? You've been suffering from back pain for 20 years. Someone responds to a word of knowledge or you you pray for them. That's that's the brilliant one. It's awesome. (laughs) Someone has had a back pain for 20 years and and you have had a back pain for 20 years. And this person is, is prayed for. And the back pain disappears. Celebrate it. Celebrate it. Celebrate it. An inability to celebrate someone else's breakthrough may be a symptom or an indication of disappointment that can lead to offence. And that that journey from disappointment to offence, I don't think it's a sure. I don't think it's a, a slow journey. Or I don't think it's a quick journey. Should I say? We need to be aware of what it is that the enemy wants to sow into this seedbed of hope. So, go after the thing that you need to see. Celebrate it. Rejoice. Thank God. Thank you. Say, thank you, Jesus. This is amazing. Because actually what's happened when someone's back gets better after 20 years, their life is being restored. When healing happens, when breakthrough happens, lives are restored. I have this diagnosis. I have had breakthroughs. So a lady came up to me uh, and said, God, show me you've been having problems with your swallowing. 
This is a couple of years ago, and I had very, very subtle issues with swallowing. I hadn't told anyone. And she said, right, well, I'm going to pray for you. And she simply put her hand on my throat. 24 hours later, the symptoms had completely disappeared. Yeah. (laughs) Along the way from that initial diagnosis over a period of a year, other things happened. I'd occasionally be catching my foot. I no longer was catching my foot. I went back to the neurologist. They could no longer find any of the symptoms or at least the outward signs and neurological deficits. I'd also had a lumbar puncture. That's basically when they take a small amount of fluid from spinal fluid from the base of your spine. And the results were reported as negative. This meant that as far as the neurologist was concerned, I did not have multiple sclerosis. And they decided that it was probably related to migraine issues. A letter was sent to my GP. And we celebrated. It was in a context of a conference. And um, we celebrated the fact that, as, as was said by someone, that I'm healed of MS. I don't have MS. The neurology, the neurologist can't find any of these symptoms. That was, that was kind of the thought. And I was like, yeah, okay. This is awesome. This is amazing. And there are testimonies, beautiful, beautiful stories of people being healed of MS. Absolutely amazing. Speed on to a year later. I'm about to be discharged by the neurologist. And he's a good doctor. He says, we'll do another MRI and uh, we'll, we'll discharge you. Last year, last summer, just about to go off to David's tent. Now, David's tent is a 72-hour worship, uh, and it's beautiful. And we have the beautiful privilege of going along and providing ministry, and the healing center provides a team. And we have seen outrageous stuff happen. We've seen eczema disappear. We've seen scars disappear, varicose veins disappear, teeth realigning, pain that had been present for years and years. I remember one gentleman whose knees had been so painful for, I can't remember how many years, in tears over the next few days, continually coming back saying, this is amazing, this is amazing. So it's in that context I'm going into, for the previous year we'd, been, we'd done it, and going into that context, and I have the results of my, my MRI. And the results are that I had... Changes to my brain that were consistent with multiple sclerosis, further advance in disease, and actually they decided I did have that diagnosis. <laughs> oh, I was not happy. I was angry. I was disappointed. I was sad. All of the range of emotions that you could think of Because I was not expecting this. I was not expecting that. I don't think the neurologist was expecting it. Nobody was expecting it. It happened. Does that change what God says about our life? Does it change about the promises? Does it make any difference? No. Not at all. No difference whatsoever. But there was a moment where I had to face some stuff. I had to face facts. I had to face the fact that I had a medical diagnosis, which was a correct diagnosis. And yet, here is the truth of what God's word says. Here is the truth of what promises say. And here's the truth of the prophetic words. 
But at that stage, I was having to make some decisions about potentially starting treatment. Also, a little thing for me, I love driving. I absolutely love I meet God in my car. Like, I love it. So I have to now, I've had to uh, hand my license in, and then I have to have it renewed every three years. Little things that really annoyed me. And one day I'm driving home from work, and I'm, I'm, having to, I'm coming to a point where I have to make an important decision about treatment. And I am crying <laughs> all the way home from work. I work in a minor injury unit. I am crying my heart out. I took a longer route. And I get home, and I sit on my bed, and, and all the way I'm saying, God, tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. Tell me what to do. <laughs> and I got home, and I sat on my bed, and I, I literally just, just flopped back. I was like, tell me what to do. And as I lay there, Psalm 23 started playing through my mind. And I got to the part between verses 5 and 6. It says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all of the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And I lay there, you prepare a table before me in the face of my enemies. And I just said, fear, you are going to watch me feast on the love of God right now. Disappointment, you're going to watch me feast on the goodness of God. And I lay there and I named every single thing that the enemy was trying to sow into the seedbed of my life, into the seedbed of hope, to contaminate the soil, to say to me that God doesn't love you, God doesn't care, God could have done something about this. God, if he really loved you, he would have healed you completely. All of that stuff that we hear, all of that stuff that basically contends about against the knowledge of who God is, and we take those thoughts captive. And I lay there, I was like, God, Dad, I just worship you. Fear. <laughs> You're going to watch me feast, and I did. I lay there, I don't know how long I lay there for, I was just worshipping, 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 naming every single thing until I felt that thing lift, individually, each thing. But you know, the interesting thing about this is that was not a one-time wonder. We can't afford to live our lives in crisis mode. We are called to live in presence. We're called to live with a an awareness of his presence 24-7. It's possible. He's in us 24-7. I've talked about this before. I'm not going to go into all of it. Psalm 36, verses 6 through to around 9 and 10, it talks about how we can feed on the abundance of his house. That When you look at the deeper meaning behind that, it talks about drinking from the torrents of his pleasure. 
We have the beautiful privilege of sons and daughters of hosting his presence. And he is hope. So we have the beautiful privilege of hosting hope, of stewarding hope. Our cup overflows. (laughs) I was talking to Fiona on Friday. Thank you, Fiona. This, this is, this point, this thing that, it just blew my mind. I know nothing about sheep apart from the fact I like to eat them. Um, I love mint sauce. Love mint sauce. Anyway, back to the point. Um, (laughs) I'm not a shepherd. So, um, so here's the thing. Here's, here's the amazing point. You anoint my head with oil. This is in the context of shepherds and sheep. He is the good shepherd. Shepherds then, and maybe still now, would rub oil into the heads of the sheep. There were other things they added to the oil, and they would rub it into the nostrils, and also, I've done a bit of research now after you told me about this, Fiona, they're also into the ears. Because what happens when the sheep are out in the field, flies come. And flies will lay eggs in the nostrils and the ears. Those eggs develop into larvae. The larvae travel into the spaces within the sheep's head, sinus cavities. The sheep then, you'll sometimes see, and if actually now when I think about it, it's interesting, now when I think about it, I'm like, oh yeah, I've seen sheep do that. They can't stand it. They've got no way of getting these things out of their head. They thrash their head against trees. They run suddenly and bury their head into the ground. They're trying to get rid of the larvae that are eating away in their head. The enemy wants to contaminate the seedbed of hope. We are an open heaven. Our thinking is what allows it to flow. The enemy wants us to believe lies about who God is, who we are, and who he says we are, and what we can see and expect to happen. The lies of the enemy will come as flies, effectively laying eggs, and he wants to get into our head. Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Jesus anoints our head with oil. (laughs) Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. That when we spend time in his presence, it is Holy Spirit who is the spirit of truth, who leads us into all truth. There's something to be said to allow him to anoint us tonight. To allow Holy Spirit to come and anoint our heads to, to come in power, to, to release truth. Bill Johnson says, and I don't know if he said it originally, but he, he said, I heard him say, that we cannot afford to have a thought in our heads that he does, that God does not have about us. So the God of hope would fill us with all joy and peace, as we trust in him so that we would overflow with his irrepressible hope.
So here's, here's, here's the thing. Here's what I'd like to do. Um, I've got some, uh, got some music we're going to play, worship song going to play. And please do feel free to, to go downstairs when it is that you, you would like to. It is possible to be set free just in a moment. And I, I really felt something tonight. I, I, funnily enough, this evening I saw a rainbow. We saw a rainbow. It was beautiful. As I was singing this song, actually, I wanted to do late, just now. And it was this beautiful rainbow. Well, we know rainbows represent promises. I feel like tonight, in, in terms of a prophetic release, so the redemption of promises... A release of new prophetic words, a release of dreams, a release of this sense of hope. Without hope, we can't dream. But also something quite specific. If you wanted to sum up Abraham, and Paul did this in Romans, and it's in Genesis it's 15, he said that Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. The word believed is a Hebrew word, aman, from which we get our word, amen. It means firm and secure. And I think tonight there is an opportunity to reclaim amen. The so be it, that whatever you say is true, it is firm it is secure that I have promises over my lives, my life. We have promises over our lives. We have prophetic words over our lives. And that the amen in 2 Corinthians uh, 1, 10, it's the, it basically that all of the promises of God were met in Christ. And we utter our amen. It says, for no matter how many promises God has made, no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. That we attest to this is true. This is true. So be it. So tonight, what I'd like to do, we're, we're going to have some worship. I, I would encourage you to, I, wait, you can stay where you are, but if you need to move around, if you need to find a space, um, I believe that Holy Spirit tonight wants to Reaffirm what he has said to you as true. Give you the ability to dream for bigger. That nothing is impossible. That anything that we could ask or imagine, he will do even greater. To actually put some fertilizer in the seedbed of hope. I believe that's what's going to happen tonight. I think there's a couple of things that we can do. I think, firstly, I believe God wants to meet us individually. If you need a prophetic word, if you feel like you, you need a fresh word from God, we can, we can kind of help with that, but we can do that later. Because I really believe that tonight God is going to speak to you personally. So, Anthony, do you want to just start the... We're just going to start this. So may the God of hope fill you with all 
joy and peace as you trust in him so that you would overflow with the supernatural overflowing powerful inextinguishable unquenchable uncontainable uncontrollable unstoppable indestructible imperishable undying unfading unfailing enduring everlasting persistent eternal hope Holy Spirit would you come in power and meet us here right now in this place thank you dad thanks Holy Spirit for you have never failed me yet.